And today we continue our series that we've been calling Simple Practices, practices that are aimed at helping us to connect with God because God wants to connect with us. The Bible says, draw near to God, and you know what it says? He'll draw near to you. He'll draw near to you. Would you join me in prayer? Holy Spirit, you are here. We thank you for the opportunity to gather. You have said that if only two or three come together in your name, you're right there, that the Lord Jesus is there. We would like to experience you because we know that when people experience you and the Father and the Son, the transformation takes place. You've given us some practices that help us to connect with you. Show us about this, this practice today, the discipline of lament. In Jesus' name, I ask, amen. Yeah, so I want to say thank you for reading those texts. They're curious, and I intend to take a little bit of a dive into them. Not a deep dive, just a dive. What is a lament? Some of you are familiar with that term. It's not a word we use a lot as Christians. It's a very biblical idea. The concept is a biblical idea. We even see the word mentioned in the Bible. It's an expression. To lament is to express a complaint to God that may arise from sadness, anger, or confusion. A complaint to God. One commentator I was reading who was writing about psalms of lament said it's as if these psalmists who wrote these prayers of complaints were accusing God of dereliction of duty. As in, God, where are you? So lament is a prayer of complaint to God that comes from some deep pain you are suffering, and it should be differentiated from the grumbling and murmuring that we read about, that grumbling and murmuring that was against the Lord, which proceeded not from mere words, but a heart of permanent contempt for God. The need for prayers of lament is influenced by profound internal psychological pain. Pain that can be triggered by physical pain. Some of you have been experiencing physical pain for a long time. And if you experience chronic pain, it can bring you to a place where you're just wondering, how long can I go on? It can really hurt your morale. Sometimes this internal, intense, deep psychological pain is triggered by adverse circumstances, like the loss of a loved one, or watching a loved one suffer, or by financial hardship, or experiencing rejection, or or loneliness, or bullying, or any number of other things. And sometimes our internal pain isn't related at all to circumstances but to something that just seems to happen to us, like depression. If any of you have experienced depression, I want to say, I grieve with you, and I'm not saying that to sound pastoral. I'm saying it because I feel it. 
I have a friend who was a high-rolling attorney, a partner in a big firm in the cities, lived in one of the most affluent suburbs in the cities, had a pretty nice life. Sometimes his annual bonus was bigger than his annual salary. He's a follower of Jesus, a giver, a server. He was afflicted with depression. And I don't know if I've ever met anybody who fought depression harder than he. He endured a lot to try to get better. He has experienced, finally, after years of breakthrough, but I saw from firsthand experience how debilitating depression can be. But sometimes the intense psychological pain is due to a process of spiritual purging. And it's typically related to losing an awareness of God's presence. What some writers call desolation, experiencing desolation or times of aridity. That's an unusual word, of aridness, A-R-I-D-ness, as in being in a desert. Why don't they just say that, Kevin? I don't know. People like fancy words. I remember when I found Jesus, when I experienced Jesus, I was 18, and, and I had known about Jesus my whole life. I was a part of a family that were, that were Catholic, and we went to church, we went to Mass every Sunday, and actually, when I started grade school, we called it grammar school where I lived in Chicago, we went with our class every morning before class started. So I was going to Mass every morning, five mornings a week, and then on Sunday, and believe it or not, it was okay. Kind of liked it. I loved singing. I loved the hymns. I actually liked my nuns. I liked the priests. See, I didn't experience abuse from them. Some people have, and it's a terrible thing. But I thought God was cool and mysterious, and I, I loved hearing about him. I was afraid of him. The nuns warned me told you you better go to confession and confess your sins. And so, you know, like a lot of good Catholic kids, I'd go to that confessional. It was kind of spooky. You'd wait your turn. You'd see somebody out in line in front of you, and you'd have to wait. And then you'd get in there finally. The priest couldn't see you, fortunately. There was a little partition between you, real dark. You're just a kid. And you're given the words to say, Bless me, Father, for I have sinned, and it's been this long since my last confession, and it always, had always been too long since my last confession. Now, I never, I never, that I can remember, confessed the sin of lying, but I lied every time I was in the confessional, because <laughs> I didn't want him to know what I was doing. I mean, the worst I would, I would I, the worst I would admit was I called my sister fat. I told a dirty joke. I wouldn't tell him the rest of the stuff. Why? I was too ashamed. I was embarrassed. And he'd say, okay, all right, for that, go to the altar. I want you to say three are my, uh, our fathers, four Hail Marys, and a glory be. And I'd go there. I'd learned all those prayers. You learn them, right, by rote. I could regurgitate them. I'd go up kneel at that altar, I'd race through those prayers as fast as I could, get out of there, I'd done my obligation, right? 
had no thought that I was going to stop doing everything I'd been doing that the Bible calls sinful. And so I had this interesting relationship with God that really didn't include a vital connection with Jesus. It was just going through the motion stuff. And it's okay, I mean, from the standpoint that God knew I was probably operating at the best I could operate at, given what I knew. Nobody told me about a personal relationship with Jesus. But then, when I was in college, I was an athlete, and I wrestled, and there was a kid on a wrestling team. He was the starter at the weight class above me. I respected him because he was such a great athlete, but I didn't particularly like him. I never saw him smile. And uh, every other word was, wow. I used to say, man, he could say it backwards, wow. <laughs> and then he came to, 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 to the practice room one day, and this is a, a program where, you know, it's a nationally ranked program, and these are a bunch of room full of really tough guys. And he's, he's so lit up, everybody's saying, what, what happened to you? What happened to you? It's noticeable. And he said, well, actually, truthfully, he says, I had an encounter with Jesus, and every, all these tough guys stepped back like he's got this contagious disease. Well, I, I caught it. I caught it. I stepped forward. It's not because I was courageous. It's because I was hungry. I said, tell me more. And he did. He said, come with me to a Bible study. We went to a Bible study. I, I didn't know much about Bible studies. He said, you got a Bible? I said, yeah. I brought the family Bible with me. It's kind of big, cumbersome. Why did I bring it to college? It's kind of like a lucky charm, really. I didn't expect to read it. I thought having it was special. I tried reading it once. Made no sense to me. Just closed it back up, put it on the shelf. It was nice to know it was there. At the Bible study, they said, open to the Gospel of Luke. I didn't know where that is. They helped me find it without, you know, influencing me to think like I, that, that I was stupid. We, I sat there, I listened. At the end, they said, Kevin, do you think you'd like a relationship with Jesus? I said, well, I'm not sure I know what that means, but I, I, I think. They explained a little more about it. I said, why don't you have a conversation with Jesus tonight when you get home to your, to your dorm room? I just tell him you want a relationship with him. And Kevin, by the way, you know you've sinned, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I knew that. So, okay, so I get back to my dorm room, and I was happy that my roommate wasn't there. I had the room to myself. Got down on my knees like a good Catholic kid would. And I said, Jesus, uh, I would like a relationship with you, whatever that means. And I, I am a little troubled about my sin. I, I'm pretty sure if I die, I'm going to go straight to hell. And I, I don't want to go to hell, but I'm, I'm equally worried about the direction my life has taken because... I'm making bad choices, a lot of bad choices, and I feel powerless to make better choices. Would you meet me? Would you help me? It wasn't a very eloquent prayer, pretty simple. It's honest. And something happened. Something happened that started in a dorm room, a dorm room in Winona, Minnesota in March of 1972. It's still happening. In a moment, somehow, I can't explain it. I knew Jesus was for real. I could feel him. And in a moment, I knew he was better than any 
Any pot I had smoked, I, I, I liked pot. Better, better than any other chemical I'd had. Better than any athletic achievement or sexual experience. In a second, I knew, Jesus, you outdid them all. Something in my heart said, yes. This, this, I, found, I found what life is about in, in moments. The most non-religious thing I've ever done is a conversation with Jesus. And if I'd wake up in the days ahead and not sense him, I'd just say, Jesus, and all of a sudden, like a blanket, he'd cover me and I'd feel him and, oh my goodness, it was incredible. And then I was told that it would be good to get prayed for to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I was with a bunch of Catholics who were talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit and praying in tongues and that God speaks to us today. And I said, well, I, if it's there in the Bible, I want it. I want it. I want God. I want more. You want more? You can always have more. That's God's answer to the question, how much can I have? More. Always more. So they prayed for me. They laid hands on me. I didn't speak in tongues that night. I did some months later. But something happened that I wasn't counting on. It wasn't fun. This was the exact opposite of everything I had experienced previously. It was like I was being turned inside out. It's like God left. So that baptism is called the baptism of fire. It says Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit in fire. And, and in the Bible, we learn that fire purifies. And, and suddenly, I didn't, and I didn't understand what was happening, but suddenly, instead of feeling God, there was not just an, an absence of the awareness of God, there was a deep vacancy. I honestly, I thought, what just happened to me? And how did this happen in a moment of time? And, and I went to one of the leaders of the group I was attending, and I said, I don't know what's going on, and I explained what I was feeling to the best of my ability, and he said, Kevin, I think God is doing something beautiful in you. To, to purge you of your dependence on your feelings. But you know, it didn't land. In the months ahead, I, I was so scared that what I had was eternally gone. I got suicidal. I went out on the ledge of my third floor dorm room. I was standing in a windowsill, a concrete windowsill, and I was looking down, and I was ready to jump when I heard these words, John 15, 4. That's all I heard. I got back in. I thought, well, maybe I should look that up. Nice idea before you're ready to take a leap to your death. At least you hope you're going to die rather than survive a fall like that. I got in and I opened my Catholic Bible. And even in the Catholic Bible, it says good stuff. And it says, if you bear fruit, my Father will prune you that you may bear more fruit. And I heard him say, you've been bearing fruit. And my father's pruning you, Kevin. This is good. This is really good. And suddenly I, I thought, okay, there's a reason for this. There's a reason. I'm not losing my mind. There's a reason for this. God wants to get at stuff inside of me. And there's sometimes no other way to do it than to remove your awareness of his presence. And it does feel arid. It feels like a desert. It does feel like desolation. It's painful. And it's not triggered by circumstances. The circumstances in my life had improved. Now, in Job's case, 
His pain, his pain was due in part to adverse circumstances. Think about this. Do you read only the first two chapters? And you're almost speechless at what he lost. Satan had come before God. God had said to him, have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him in all the earth. God started bragging more about him. Job said, hey, the only reason he's faithful to you is because you're so sweet to him. Stop being so nice and he'll curse you to your face. God gave Satan permission to afflict Job. And said, but don't take his life. Guess what Satan did? God didn't do this. Satan did this. Satan used wind and lightning to destroy not only Job's properties, but his 10 kids. And then Satan influenced a band of marauders to create further destruction in Job's life. And then he loses the respect of his spouse, who's encouraging him to curse God. And then he's got judgment and shaming from friends. And then he's afflicted from head to toe with boils. You ever have a boil? I had 16 boils right here in this place in my arm. And they grew together into one, and it was brutal pain. He was covered from head to toe. And then he clearly, you can read it, it's very obvious, you read this book, it's, it's difficult to read. I've been reading it in my daily reading of late, and it's, it's hard to read. It's exhausting. This isn't a psalm of lament. This is a, you know, I don't know. This isn't a moment of lament. This is a whole season of lament. And he's letting it all hang out. But he clearly lost a sense of God's presence. And then you do have the Psalms. The book of Psalms. They were the stock prayers of Israel. They've been used in the church for years. And several of them, probably at least 10. But notably, 10, chap chapter 10, Psalm 10, and 44, 69, 90. These are what's called Psalms of Lament. These are where the psalmists are praying and they're, they're experiencing pain and they're confused and, and they don't know where God is and it seems like he's disappeared and they're, they're, they're just not that thoughtful about how they tell God that they're frustrated. And, and if they were in the company of people who are under the influence of a religious spirit, those people would shush them. They say, you shouldn't talk to God like that. Watch your language. God didn't find fault with them. God wasn't upset with them. We learn, if you keep reading the Psalms, you learn very likely God was proud of them. Because eventually he turns your mourning into dancing. Jeremiah records many laments. In fact, after his book that's full of laments, he, he writes a book called Lamentations. Read about those. Job shows us laments that were expressed among friends. Some of our laments are private. We're too embarrassed to let people know, other people know what we're really feeling. But Job took him to this his friends. I mean, he really, truly let it all hang out with his friends. Did you know Jesus lamented? 
What do you think this statement from the cross is? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You think Jesus said that so that we'd connect the dots and say, oh, let's see, that was, that was David wrote that in Psalm 22, and maybe Jesus wanted us to know that's a messianic song or psalm. I think Jesus said it because he felt it. He felt forsaken. Another lament you hear this way, let this cup pass me by. We've talked about this stuff before. We're gonna keep, we gotta keep talking about it. Let this cup pass me by. Do we think it's sinful to say stuff like that? Do we think it's weak? Do you know Jesus didn't sin? The Bible says he didn't sin, he was without sin. But he didn't, he didn't want to endure the cup, the cup of suffering, and he felt forsaken, and then he admits to being under stress, and that's not sin either because he said I, to his disciples, I have a baptism with which I am to be baptized, and I'm distressed until it is fulfilled. And then the disciples, you can read this in Luke 22, He's in such anguish, they see he's in such anguish, he starts sweating great drops of blood. A real physiological proven kind of thing that's documented. If you're under extreme stress, that can happen. But it wasn't sinful. Paul, Paul, Paul lamented. We hear it in some of his letters. He tells the Corinthians, he's, he's there. He's their apostle, and he's saying, hey, guy, I, I came to you. When I came to you, I came in fear and trembling. He's not too embarrassed to admit that. I was scared. And then he tells them about he and his ministry team. They faced such difficult circumstances, they didn't even think they were going to survive. He lets that hang out. And then he tells them, you know, I'm learning that my adequacy comes from God, which suggests what to us? He was not feeling adequate as an apostle. And in the next chapter, he says, and I've been perplexed. And in another book, he says he's so angry at these people who are upsetting the people he's writing to. He says, I wish they would emasculate themselves. Whoa. Paul says that. Those are laments. Do you know many, many Christians that we would consider stalwart Christians? You know, I mean... Giants of the faith have recorded in their diaries such prayers, prayers of laments and confusion and God, where are you? And I, I wrote a, a psalm of lament about a year and a half ago. It was vulgar. And um, I hope you don't think this is bragging. I, I'm not bragging about being vulgar. I just, I found I, times in my life because I grew up getting my mouth washed out with soap for using naughty words. Yeah. I've been very careful about the language I use, especially with God, but there have been times I've been so angry with God, I won't even tell you the gestures I've made to God. Read between the lines. I've been so angry, I gave God the universal gesture of disapproval. I was so angry one day with God, I was trying to rip my Bible in half. I wasn't strong enough to do it. I just flung it against the wall and told him where to go. This is me, a man of prayer. I've been in prayer with God in private every day for 52 years. I've read my Bible every day for 52 years. I've been on my knees every day for 52 years. That's reporting, not bragging. That's just fact. I'm saying me, seeking God to the best of my ability in private and in community, I get that angry at God. I say, God, where are you? 
God, these are your promises. Where is the fulfillment of your promise? People, people who care hurt deeply. And then they learn, don't fake it. Just fake it till you make it. Get rid of that baloney. No faking it. No faking fine. That's not Christianity. That's a pathetic excuse for the Christian life. The real Christian life is, God, this, this is brutal. It's difficult. Let this cup pass me by. We don't walk with a swagger when you walk with Jesus, not if you're feeling pain. And if you don't feel pain, you are not paying attention. Something is wrong. That's not spirituality. That's denial. I confessed to my spiritual director what I was feeling, and it was scary to me. And I've been told, oh, you know, question your feelings. What if they're persistent feelings? What if those disturbing, unsettling feelings persist and you're doing everything you can to take captive every thought, but they never go away until you think you're losing your marbles. You gotta tell somebody. And I admitted all the dark stuff. I thought it was dark stuff. I admitted it to my spiritual director. I said, what do I do with this? He said, Kevin, don't judge it. Don't edit it. Sit with it. Sit with it. What does that mean? Kevin, hold it before Jesus because here's what you know. I know you know this. Those feelings, they come from beliefs. And if you don't pay attention to those feelings, you won't, need, you won't be able to discover the beliefs that drive them. And you need to discover them in order to be able to address them. Am I making sense, you guys? You can't take captive every thought if you don't know the thought. And sometimes you gotta follow the feelings to the thought. But we're so afraid of feelings. We get a denial about them. How you doing? Praise the Lord, I'm fine. What if you're not fine? What if you, life is brutally difficult, not, you know, not just difficult. And then here's another thing that gets in our way. We hear someone's story of pain and suffering that is clearly worse than anything we've experienced, and we go, well, who am I to complain? Does it make your pain any better? Not really. So when you minimize your pain, you minimize your chance that God's going to meet you in your pain. So, please, give serious consideration to praying prayers of lament. Prayers of lament are not for every day or for every season. We learn that there are seasons for everything under heaven, right? Ecclesiastes 3. Time to search for something, a time to give it up is lost. Time to love, time to hate. There's a lot of times. Lament is a form of prayer by which you are intentional about inviting God into your suffering. So lament is not just complaining. Lament is saying, God, here it is. I'm gonna give it to you in all of its ugliness. As honestly as I can. And I wanna invite you into this. And that's when everything begins to change. And it may be a while, but maybe, maybe, just maybe God will do something that will help you to get this sense he's heard you. 
Because in the middle of my lament and my frustration and my confusion, I began to sense him edging closer. I began to see his fingerprints. I could, didn't feel his presence, didn't feel his hug, but I saw his fingerprints. I saw evidences that God was near, sometimes through what people were doing to help me. And I'd say, God, I see your fingerprints now, but man, Lord, I'm looking for a hug. I'm looking for a hug. Can I have a hug? He's given me a big hug. Her, her name is Wendy. Amen. Yeah, and I'm not kidding you. I want to take just a moment to unpack today's text from Job because it's confusing. After listening to Job complain, and, and if you notice especially, I didn't put this in the reading today, but especially Job 40, the first verse and following, this is when God says to Job, you gotta be kidding me, essentially. You really think you know what's going on? And he tells him how wrong he's been in his thinking. And then we see Job have this awakening in chapter 42, and he goes, oh boy. I didn't know what I, th I thought I knew. And then this is an interesting text. God says to one of Job's friends, hey, listen, I want you to know this. You didn't speak right about me like Job did. Wait a second. I thought you just said, told Job you didn't get it right. This should be confusing to you. If you're reading the Bible and you think everything makes sense, I don't, I don't think you're paying attention. But here's what I learned, that word right, Job, you know, you didn't speak right of me as my servant Job has, and this is following God saying, Job, you're all goofed up in your thinking. The word right there doesn't mean his theology was right. It means his heart was right. Wow. That's what it means. The Hebrew word for right there in 42.7 is meant to convey not that Job's understanding of God was right, but that he complained and lamented from a place of honesty. That's what God's looking for. That's what God's looking for. So the takeaway is, among other things, you can't go wrong by pouring out your frustration, your agitation, your confusion and fear to God. When I'm experiencing unusual pain, realizing that my integrity in my relationship with God means absolute honesty with him is the way forward. Absolute honesty. It's good to identify your complaints. Write them down, use a journal. Write down your complaints. Lord, this is what's frustrating. This is what's difficult. And then I want to add, I would like to encourage you to do this. Have a page in your journal where you can write out your unedited wants. The things you want that you're too afraid to ask for, maybe you're even ashamed of. When I sensed God inviting me to do this and he used a text from Scripture, 
his interaction with Bartimaeus when he said to Bartimaeus, what do you want? I felt like God was saying to me, Kevin, what do you want? What do you really want? Not what you think I want you to want. What do you really want? And I remember saying to God, I, I, I'd, like, I'd like revenge. If I could, honestly, I'd, I'd really hurt this person. I, I mean, I had my whole physical scenario identified what I would do to this particular person who was hurtful. I knew it was off the table. I'm not, I'm not that dumb. I knew it was off the table. But I said, God, that's what I want. I would like to mess him up. And he said, oh, okay. Um, why? We had this conversation. I'm not kidding you. I heard him say, why? I said, because I feel disrespected. And he said, oh, it's respect you want. I said, yeah. He said, you have it. You have my respect. I paid my life for you. Mm -hmm. God, I'd like a bigger house than the one I could afford. I'd like to be a best-selling author. I admitted that to God. I've written a bunch of books. You know about them? Of course you don't. <laughs> I've written six books. Almost no one here knows I've written six books. And my best-selling author? Uh, not by a long shot. So God, I'd like to be a best-selling author. Why? This was a beautiful conversation. No shame in the asking. Why? Beautiful conversation. Why? So I think about it, I think I want significance. That's awesome. I, I have that in mind for you too, as in you're fearfully and wonderfully made. And you're my masterpiece created in Christ Jesus for good works. You know, even behind you, what you think are really carnal wants, there's usually a want that's a worthwhile want. And I hope you talk to God about it. And then invite him into all of it. That's a prayer of lament, and I hope it becomes a practice for you, especially when you're in times of brutal confusion. And I want to invite the worship team up, and as they're coming up, I want to say to you who are here, every, every time we gather is an opportunity, not that you have to be here presently to experience this. I experienced it, as I said, in the dorm, dorm room, but every time we need to invite people to receive Jesus, if you have never opened your heart to receive Jesus, why wouldn't you do that today? And it's not complicated. All you have to do is say, Jesus, I want to experience you. I need you. Come into my life. Wash away my sins. Make me the person you want me to be. And to every one of you who've been hearing this message about lament, my hope, my prayer for you is that you'll say, Lord, would you give me the courage to lament? And, not, and help me not to pretend that everything is okay when it's not okay. Help me to do that. Why don't we close in prayer? Holy Spirit, would you help me to have the courage to tell the truth about how I'm really feeling when I'm in terrible pain, when I'm experiencing confusion? Would you help me to have the courage to tell you about it and to be as honest as I can? Would you help me to do that? Help me to pray a prayer of lament. And I trust that in the course of time, Lord, you will turn my morning into dancing. In Jesus' name. If you agree with that prayer, would you say amen?